Okay, we are going to be looking at the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we are given the context of why Jesus is giving this story. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So you see the context of this is that is that Jesus was welcoming the tax collectors and the sinners. Tax collectors being those that, that none of the Jews really liked. And sinners is a euphemism often used in Scripture for prostitutes. And they were coming to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes came and they grumbled saying, He receives these sorts of people. It's in this context that He starts giving them parables. And now we're going to move down to chapter 15, verse 11 of the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And we're going to read the story of the prodigal son. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the field to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swines were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I will go up to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and the ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And he began to celebrate. Now his older brothers, now the older son was in the field. And when he came, he approached the house and he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and he began to inquire what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered and he said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you've never given me a young goat so I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. 
And he said to him, Son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. So in this context, the man is representing God or Jesus. And then there's two brothers, and the two brothers are representing the scribes and Pharisees, the older brother, the younger brother, are represented, a representation of the sinners and the tax collectors. Let me preface this story by an article that I read many years ago about about children that had left Christian families and left Jesus and went away into the world for one reason or another. And they tracked them over a period of about 25 years. Some came back to the Lord and others never did. And so they went and they inquired with these people and they interviewed them. And what they found is that in every case, people that returned to the Lord, people that returned into fellowship with their families, every one of them came from a home that was welcoming to them, that never put upon them ultimatums saying, you will change this behavior, this, this, and this, in order for us to receive you back. The ones that never came back were the ones that had families that said, in order for you us to receive you back, you have to do this, 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 You have to remember how much we've done for you. You have to apologize for this and that and the other thing. I just say that because many of us will experience children that will go away from the Lord. And if you want them back, put no ultimatums on their coming back. Don't say you have to to apologize or we'll never let you come back. Just always be welcoming. Always be welcoming. That is what the statistics show, and that is exactly what is written here. But let's look more deeply into this. It says that a man had two sons in verse 11. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. He said, give me what falls to me. I want my inheritance now. This is like saying, Father, you can drop dead You're not deceased, but I want my inheritance now. I mean, whoever says to the father, give me my inheritance now. But that's what this guy told of his father. And it says his father divided the wealth between the two sons. At that point, he didn't just give to the one. He divided his wealth between the two sons. And it says, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. And we learn from later on in the chapter that part of that loose living was he was squandering his wealth with prostitutes. And it says, Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be impoverished. Isn't that interesting? As soon as he had spent everything, boom, a famine hits. Things pile up in life sometimes. You wonder, how did this happen? And then this, 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 one day after another. Like with Job. Job's here's one thing, and then another one, another thing, and another thing. All hitting in one day. Here you see, as soon as he had spent everything, the famine hit. Couldn't the famine have hit 
when he had some money. But now he's out of money and the famine hits. God knows exactly how to time things to get our attention. The famine hits and he began to be impoverished. He began to have nothing. So he goes and it says, and uh, so he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. So he takes this young man, he says, you go out and you feed those pigs out there. If this was a Jewish man, you know that the, the disgust that it would be. So often there is a view that if if I could somehow, you know, this, this Christian life is so hard. You know, I just go back into the world. I'm thinking, you're crazy. You know what the world is like as a taskmaster? What the world is going to put you through? You think it's going to be better in the world than in the church? You think it's going to be better in the world than with, with, than with your family that knows God? Boy, are you in for a surprise. And here he was sent into the fields to feed swine. And it says that in verse 16, And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. He said, I'll, I'll eat what the pigs are eating. They said, no. It's not for you. That's for the pigs. That's what the world is like. You think you can slip into the world and it's going to be calmer for you and better for you than in the church, than in the body of Christ? You'll see. You'll see what the world can be like. It says in verse 17, But when he came to his senses, he came to his senses, something happened. He's feeding swine, hungry, and he's... All of a sudden, it dawns on him. It really wasn't that bad the way I had it before. You see, there's all sorts of, in all sorts of decisions in life that people make. They make decisions in their marriage. They think, oh, life is just so terrible in this marriage. And then they go out and, and, and they find... It's not all of a sudden going to be more pleasant when you get out of that marriage. You get into another marriage and you find that that was not so pleasant either. I mean, you can't, we can't run all the time. Finally, he came to his senses. And he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? He said, my father's men, the men who work for my father, they don't just have enough bread to eat. He says, they have more than enough. They have excess My father's hired men have excess. In the body of Christ, in Jesus, we have an excess. In him, we have plenty, plenty. And we get this thought that if we go out into the world, that if we separate from the things of God, that if we go against the commandments of Jesus, somehow it's going to be better. It's never better. Because Jesus gives to his children more than enough. More than enough. Jesus said in John chapter 14, He says, verse 23, He said, If if anyone loves me, let him keep my commandments. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments. How do we show our love for Jesus? It's not by saying hallelujah. Jesus said 
The way we show our love for Him is by keeping His commandments. And what's the result of that? If anyone, and he who keeps my commandments, my Father will love him. Jesus said, my Father will love you if you keep my commandments, Jesus said. This is so true. I work with students all the time. I'm a professor. I work with students all the time. Sometimes they want to, they want to befriend me or something. I say, look, you want to befriend me? Be nice to my children. And I would sometimes call these engineers to come and tutor my child in math or something and get them through school. And, and they helped work on them with their science. If you're nice to my children, I will never forget you. I will always like you. If you are nice to a person's children, they will always love you. I did prison ministry for 10 years. <clears throat> if I couldn't get a man's attention, I would just say to him, do you have children that I can pray for? Right away he would look at me. I get his attention. Everybody wants the best for their children. You be nice to Jesus and listen to him, his father will love you. That's what he said. <clears throat> you keep my commandments. He says, My father will love him. You keep my commandments. You're nice to the son, the father will love you. You cannot venerate Jesus enough. You cannot praise him enough. As we give praise to Jesus, the Father's love is poured out upon us. Jesus is the best, the best, the best in every way. How we must recognize how wonderful He is. All the focus of God's love toward humanity comes through His Son. He sees us, He sees His children through His Son. And because He sees us through His Son, we are acceptable in His sight. We could never stand alone. Everything is through the Son of God. And when we love the Son, the Father's love is poured out upon us. When we obey the Son, Jesus said, My Father will love Him. And what's the result He said in John 14, 23? And we will come to Him. Who's the we in this context? Is Jesus and His Father. The Holy Spirit's already there. But He says, And we will come to Him. Trouble yourself no longer. I will come to you, Jesus said. We will come to Him. And make our abode with Him. We will make our abode with Him. We're just going to hang out with Him. You, you obey the commandments of Jesus. And he, Him and His Father will make their abode with you. He says here, in my Father's house, the, the workers there, they have more than enough bread. In Jesus, there's more than enough. In the world, there's never enough. There's never enough. I see it all the time. I see this all the time. I look at unbelievers, they never have enough. They always spend 110, 120% of what they make. Getting into deeper and deeper debt. In Jesus, you always have super abundance. You have more than enough, it says. He says, but I'm dying here with hunger. Verse 18, and I will go up to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. That's good. He's going to go and repent. He's going to go and repent. When we turn, learn to go and repent. Then he says, and I'm going to say to him, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Now that's not a very good kind of repentance. Who is he to say, make me, make me as one of your hired men? No, he left the home. 
He's now wanting to be as one of his hired men. You are to make me... I mean, how can we go to God and say, do this with me? I mean, this is up to God. God is God. So even in his repentance, he had problems. Even in his repentance, he says, make me as one of your hired men. No, you don't deserve to be one of his hired men that has a superabundance. You don't deserve that. But that's what he says, make me like one of them. That's what he's planning to say to his father. You know, even when we go to God and repent, we put conditions upon God. I'm coming and I'm repenting, but, you know, now take care of this. <laughs> I mean, God is like, here we go again. God understands us. Boy, does he understand us. But even in our repentance, there's problems. Then he says, it says, so he got up and he came <clears throat> to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So he says, while he was a long way off. You know, if you, if you see someone from very far away, you can't see their face. It's hard, too hard to make out facial features. In fact, you know, I've, I've, I've worked with, with Lockheed Martin on, on, uh, uh, signatures of aircraft way high in the sky. Everything that's far away appears dark, black in color. You lose even all color, sense of color when something's very far away. But anyway, how do you tell? How do you know it's the sun from far off? And I'll tell you, you can tell by the way they walk. I have two sons. I can tell by the way they walk that that's them from far away. My son used to run cross-country. And cross-country, you know, is, is a terrible spectator sport because there's a big bunch of people and then they disappear and there's nothing to watch. It's not a spectator sport. And then after, I don't know, 40 minutes or something, they come trickling back and you see somebody. I could tell from far away, that's my son, just by the way he ran. By the way his son walked, he could probably tell, that's my son. That's my son. And look at what the father's doing. The father's there watching, watching. He's hoping his son will return. He's watching and he sees him a far way off. This is God. He's always wanting us back. This is why I tell families, if your child has left the home, welcome them back. No preconditions, nothing. Just say, you will, I will always be your parent. That cannot change. You are always welcome here. You are always welcome here. This father put no preconditions on this kid coming back. You see, it says, his father saw him. He was still a long way off. His father saw him in verse 20 and felt compassion for him. He felt compassion. That's how God views us. He feels compassion for us. That's how families have to view the wayward child. Just compassion, not judgment. Let that thing go. I mean, if God held to us the standards that we hold to others, we'd never be able to come to God. Just compassion. He felt compassion for him and he ran and embraced him. The father ran to him. Now let me tell you something about men in the Middle East. They don't run. Men in the Middle East, they don't run. Now maybe they run these days because of exercise or something, but children run. Men don't run. It's not dignified. Man running is not dignified. This father ran to his son. He didn't care about dignity. He's going to run to his son. His son meant so much to him. Much more than his own personal dignity. He's going to run to his son. 
he runs to him. And he embraced him. And he kissed him. This guy had been out feeding pigs for who knows how long. And he just hugs him. Whatever you've been in, it doesn't matter. You're my son. He hugs him. He embraces him. He kisses him. In verse 21, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He never got to finish the last part where he was going to say to his father, Make me like one of your hired men. He never got to it. His father interrupted him. Right in the middle of his apology, his father interrupted him and says, But the father said to his slave, Slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. The father just cut him off in this thing. Just stopped it. He didn't let him even finish. This guy had more to say. And the father wasn't going to sit there. Okay, you got more? Tell me more. Tell me how sorry you really are. Tell me. The father just stopped him. That's enough. You don't have to repent for the rest of your life. You don't have to apologize for the rest of your life. It's enough. You're back. It's enough. Just stop right there. I love you. I love you. You see no preconditions, no ultimatums, no listing of things that... Do you know how much I did for you? Do you know how I taught you how to ride a bicycle? I supported you. I put a roof over your head. I put you through private schools. I put you through college. Do you know how much I've done? None of that. No explanation saying, now explain to me, what is it you did? So, so, so what have you been through? Tell me about this. How was it out in the world there, huh? How was it out in the world? None of that. He just welcomed him back. And he says, he says, let's just celebrate. My son's returned. Now, we see the older son, who's representing the Pharisees and the scribes. This is a man with two problem sons. Two problem sons. The older son, he's coming in from the field. And when he approached, he heard, he heard all this uh, uh, music and dancing. In verse 25, verse 26, and he summoned one of the servants and he began to inquire, what are these things? What could these things be? And he said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. This is representing God's love for the sinners. He says, I am happy to have them back. I am so happy. The prostitutes and the tax collectors are coming. I love them. I mean, have you ever felt so unworthy, so unworthy in your life that I can't even approach God? I'm not good enough. Have you ever felt that way? In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, Isaiah 43, 25, it says, I, even I, God is crying out. This is me speaking. God, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. God says, I, even I, am the one who will wipe out your transgressions for my own sake. Isaiah 43, 25. I'm going to wipe them out for my own sake, and I'm not going to remember your sins. What is this? You're going to wipe it out for my own sake. I liken it to this. I have four children. If one of my children were in jail, I would go immediately and bail them out. And even if they were to say to me, no, dad, for what I did, I deserve to be here. I'd say, if, 
If it's within my power, I'm getting you out of here. I will mortgage my house to get you out of here. Whatever is needed, I will get you out of here. We'll deal with the other things later. For my own sake, I'm not going to leave you here. That's what God says. I will wipe out your transgressions for my own sake. Even if I feel, if we feel so unworthy, I could never even approach God. God says, I'm doing this for my own sake. I love you so much, I am not going to leave you here. I'm getting you out of this. I'm going to wipe out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. When it says God will not remember, it's not the, that He forgets it. He doesn't forget like we forget. To remember means to act upon. I'm not going to act upon your sins. So like when God said, uh, and God remembered Noah. It wasn't like, huh, I've left the water running. What am I going to do? Let me go. No, God said, I'm going to, I'm going to deliver Noah now. When God said, and God remembered Abraham. It says, and God remembered means I'm going to come now and give him the son that I promised. God says, I will remember your sins no more. I'm not going to act upon your sins. This is what God is like. It says, but the older son, it says in verse 28, but he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. He became angry. The older son became angry, just like the scribes and the Pharisees. How could he eat with sinners and tax collectors? Became angry. You see, this is a man with two problem children. He became angry. And it says the father, he wasn't willing to go in the house. The father was pleading with him. Look at this picture. The father is pleading with the son, please come in. It's not the son pleading with the father. It's God pleading with this. It's like God pleading with us. Come, come unto my son. I've provided every way. Come to my son. This is the father pleading with the son. Look at the humility of the father. He pleads with his older son, come in, enjoy this feast, please come in. What's his son's reply? But he answered and he said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I, and I have never neglected a command of yours and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. So he says to his father, look. Now, a child does not say to their father, look. You say, to, you say to a child, look, do this. You don't say to your father, look. I mean, this is like, who is he? To, but the father doesn't do anything. He doesn't say, how dare you speak to me like that? You know, I'm the, no, he doesn't. He lets his son just voice it. Sometimes we just have to let the kids just, just voice it. He says to his father, look. For so many years I've been serving you and have never neglected a command of yours. I've never never neglected a command? Like, how about the verse above where I'm pleading with you, come in the house and you're not coming in? I mean, we're so blind to all our disobedience. But the father never points out to him, uh, you know, you just are neglecting my command to come in the house. And the father never points it out, he just lets the kid voice it. He says, I've been serving you all. You've been serving me? Um, you know, I put this roof over your head. You live in a very pleasant place. And it's like, you're a servant of mine? Is that the way you view your life? But the father never says this. He just lets this kid just get it right out of his system. <clears throat> and he says, 
<clears throat> he says, you've never even given me a young goat. You know, a young goat, let alone a fattened calf ready for, for this. You've never given me this that I might celebrate with my friends. Is it the father's job to give to the son so that he can celebrate with his friends? But again, sometimes as parents, you just have to let your kids voice it. But when this son of yours came, in verse 30, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. But when this son of yours, he doesn't say my brother, he doesn't say your son, he says this son of yours. I mean, just just how rude he is to his father. We can be like this with God sometimes. We can be like this. And God just... He's amazingly kind and gracious. He's such a gracious father. That's how our God is. This father never comes back and says, how dare you speak to me like that? No, he doesn't do that. He's just kind and gracious. And he said to him, look at his reply, son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours. He says, this is your brother. This is your brother. This brother of yours was dead and he's begun to live. He was lost and now he's been found. To the scribes and the, Phar- to this, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, he's saying, these ones, they were lost. They were dead. They're coming back. Isn't that the best thing in the world? Jesus loved to see people turn. He's just so excited about this. He says, it's, they were dead. They're coming back. And he says, everything I've had. He said, he said, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. You wanted a little goat? You could have had it any time. It says in, in James chapter four, you do not receive because you do not ask. You know the main reason why we don't receive? Because we don't ask. That's what the Bible says. You don't receive because you don't ask. You do not receive because you do not ask. He says, you could have had this all the time. You could have had it. You're here with me. You could have enjoyed this amazing abundance in your father's house. This amazing abundance in being in God's house, in being his child. This is what he has for us. And he rejoices to see the lost come in. If there's anyone here who does not know the Lord, oh, I beg of you, let me share with you. If you don't know the Lord after this meeting, I will sit with you. You just come up to me. I will sit with you. And I guarantee you, if you do not believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he has risen from the dead, let me sit with you. In 30 minutes, you will know the Lord. You will receive the Lord this very day. I guarantee you that. If you don't know the Lord, let me speak with you. After this service, let me speak with you. You will know the Lord. This is a beautiful picture of what God has done. A beautiful picture of what our relationship with God is. How patient He is with us. And parents, I urge you, if you have a wayward child, let them know that they are welcome back anytime. No preconditions. You don't preach to them anything that you've done for them. Any list of things, just say, you are forever my child. That can't change. I mean, you want evidence of that? Here's the DNA. You're my child. That will never change. 
and you are always welcome back. And you pray for them and let them know periodically, you're welcome back, you're welcome back. I'm waiting for you. You're welcome back. I will love you no matter what. No matter what. No questions asked, you're welcome back. And then welcome back the the prodigal son, the daughter who's gone away. Welcome them back. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, for the kindness of God. The kindness of God, as it says, which draws us to repentance. Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom comes so much love and so much blessing. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the image that you show us, the picture of salvation. Thank you, Lord God, that you welcome in the sinner. You say, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Lord, I pray for the lost, that you draw them, that through this message you draw them, that you soften their hearts and that they come to know you this very day. Lord, I offer this up to you for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen.